This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, they did it. Manchester City became the first back-to-back champions in the Premier League in a decade. And they've matched last season's Trophy Hall 2 with the added bonus that they could go on to be the first side ever to win a domestic treble. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we're looking at the key events that led to City being crowned top-flight winners. And we'll be casting an eye over Saturday's FA Cup final against Watford. Can they go on and lift a fifth trophy in two seasons? We'll be looking at their chances. Football journalist Guillaume Balaguer is chatting to us to discuss the key moments in City's title win behind the scenes and look at how Pep Guardiola's side reacted after one game in particular. But it's not all sweetness and light this week. City have been referred to the club financial control body over alleged breaches of financial fair play regulations. And a video has emerged of players and staff singing a potentially offensive chant. Just when you thought we were in for a quiet-ish week. Good job Howard Hawkin will be on the show later on. Diving into all the hot topics in our final studio show of the season. I'm David Mooney and with me are City fans Paul Atherton. Good evening, Minji. Okay? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. And Richard Burns. Hello, hello. How's it going, Richard? Have you uh, have you heard from your best man yet? That's the question everybody <laughs> wants to know. Um, yes, he messaged me later in the day to uh, to send me a video of the scenes at the pub where he was at to show me how amazing Liverpool support had been. Uh, I haven't watched it, and because <laughs> uh, I don't care, and uh, just to say a very magnanimous message about what a great season it had been. And he thinks it'll be a two horse race next season. Um, he can't see anything other, and he wouldn't choose two other teams to have up there whereas I would choose almost any other team <laughs> to rival City it's uh, I must say for, for anybody that's uh, that's listening that didn't catch our, our special recording last week after the Brighton game uh, Richard's getting married later this year and his best man's a Liverpool fan and uh, all through the season when Liverpool have been ahead he's been sending Richard uh, a, a gif yeah of, a man uh, looking through some binoculars and just writing looking for City and I sent him a picture of me and my dad with some binoculars Post City winning the league, some it, top birdieing there. I was quite happy with it. Yeah, planned in advance. I've been waiting since about November to be able to do it. So, <laughs> uh, Paul, have you uh, have you recovered from uh, from weekend yet? I think so. Um, <laughs> if we didn't get that equaliser soon, might have been different. But I think the fact that it happened so quickly, you know, not it was kind of expected, really, wasn't it? Well, I mean, let's let's get into it because back-to-back titles, like I said in the opener, there, it's something that's not been done in a decade. How much of an achievement is it for this city team to have done that? It's huge because Mancini's style wins, but very much in the Mourinho type sort of fold where you get results, but it grinds down the team. And there might not be longevity to it. Whereas this is more of the dynasty type thing, you know, rather than being one of the teams that will win the league free out three, maybe four times in 10 years, it's more we have the capability to go back-to-back. So I think it is a massive achievement. I think it's it should be Premier League every single year with at least semi-finals in the Champions League because something can obviously happen over... So a disappointing season this season? No, uh, <laughs> no, no certainly not. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a real step. If you think that transitional year, we all knew... Um, how poor that squad was that Pep Guardiola took over. We knew that a lot of players had to be phased out. They weren't phased out straight away. Um, and then he's come, changed it last year, set so many records this year, maintained the level, got 98 points rather than 100 points, 
much tougher opposition, much tougher top six. So great achievement in probably, arguably, strongest top six the Premier League's ever had, maybe. Well, I was going to say, Richard, um, is this the biggest achievement at City, given who they're up against? And And I'm talking of all of City's achievements, not just kind of like in, in the recent era? I would say so, because it's it's the first league title we've ever defended. Until February, we'd never defended any trophy at all. The achievement of backing it up in two very different ways, I think, is huge, because it, both of the last two seasons have had very different mental tests for City. This year's been the most strenuous. But you think last year they won 18 straight league games. I think the um, the run in that, there were cup games as well that, that took it actually over that amount. I think they got to 20 because there was a couple of cup games in that run, maybe more, I don't know. Um, the They had no pressure on towards the back end of that run because we knew that they'd wrapped up the league in mid-December and that run took them into January. Um, so it was... The test was almost they were competing with themselves to keep up in the standards, to keep up in the levels, um, or to at least maintain them, to keep putting teams for the sword, despite knowing that they probably could have put their feet up. Um, you know, they could have they they could have drawn or lost a load more games that season and, and won the league still at an absolute canter. This, this, year, this season they had to win. Exactly. This year, the performance has been the same, largely. It's the same style of football. It's putting teams to the sword. There's been the few games where they've had to grind it out. So a lot of the circumstances in individual games or the way City have managed the season, on paper, are very, very similar. Except this year, those 14 back-to-back wins at the end of the season had to be won. Because if they said it on Sunday, um, if they drop just one point in any of those games or if Aguero's shot against Burnley that just crosses the line is just has a little bit less power on it or um, you know you go back to the Liverpool game if John Stones is a billionth of a second slower to react to clearing that ball off the line I know that wasn't in the 14 game run but all those instances we're not talking about City being champions they'd have fallen just short and still had a remarkable season but we'd be in the Liverpool situation now of knowing that that remarkable season still wasn't quite good enough across two seasons City have been consistently brilliant at on the technical side of the game they've been consistently mentally strong but in very different circumstances so they've, they've proven themselves to be the the full package as if we didn't know that already last season um, but it's just mind-boggling the, the the scale of this achievement. Paul, is this... I'm, I don't want to dive into hyperbole, but is this the greatest Premier League side? Uh, I think so. Because statistically, if you look at the points total across two seasons, no team's ever done that. Domestic treble as well. Um, potential domestic treble, I think. Let's not, oh, let, yeah. let's, let's not count On any the chickens cards, yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, we'll, we'll talk about that later yeah potential domestic treble I think it has to be and I think the, the, the squad depth for De Bruyne to be out for so much of the season for Mendy to basically be a non-factor other than three three, three games for, games, for Sané yeah. being probably one of the best sort of footballers under, under 24 not getting a game all the time I think it has to be the best squad um, Invincible has had a you know arguably but they didn't win as much as String of draws in there, yeah. Yeah, string, string of draws. draws, yeah, exactly. United's um, treble winners, they were they were a they great, the best. great side, but they, I mean... They, they got lucky loads. City have had probably less luck, I'd say. 
lucky draws maybe in the cups. But Chelsea, when Mourinho took over, when you fit, look at that team, it was different. It wasn't the same sort of style of football. But they just went around buying everyone, and they had basically the best player in every single position. But this, and they were I just mean, absolutely dominant. I suppose it, it raises the point then <clears throat> that it's not just that City have got this point, points total over two seasons and and average the best that that any side has, ever has in the Premier League over two seasons. It's the style in which they've done it as well. Yeah, and and um, just I think you asked before we recovered yet. It just seems like absolute exhaustion. The like knowing me watching a game, never mind playing it that. You cannot slip up here. And how many times did we go in at half time and we had to, it was nil nil or we were behind or something like that? And it's the Brighton game is an example of it. The derby where you know at half time it's still nil nil nil, and you're like, you know, we need we need to step it up here. Just the amount that had to go right to win those last fourteen games, I think showing that sort of nerve with injuries, having carried on the back of a World Cup. And the 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 season before, I think it has to statistically it is the best team. When did you relax against Brighton? Um, I think the second we got the equaliser, I relaxed because I felt like it was back that, to the position it was before. That early? Yeah, because I thought it was one of the ones where if we don't if we don't score, it's going to kind of be protracted. If we get one, it'll it'll just carry on, even if it's even though it's back to the position it was. The fact that you know. For their confidence, they'd gone up and then they'd been knocked straight back down. Momentum was back. Yeah, the momentum, momentum straight away. And I think if we didn't score within the, those two minutes, I think it would have been horrendous. At two one, I never really believed that they'd let it go from there. At one all, I was a lot more settled because yeah. immediately you concede and you just you start to think, oh no, disaster scenario is on. Um, but you get the goal and it just it settled my nerves. Three. Three one was the one that did it. I was, yeah. I was, you know, I was celebrating winning the league again at three one. No question about it. Yeah. Well, uh, this is what Pep Guardiola had to say after the four one win at Brighton. No, last season was incredible as well. But uh, the other rivals could not maintain our our rhythm. So we 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 did eighteen games in a row last season. We should we should do fourteen, not to be to be champion. But of course, so. Uh, the respect we saw one week ago, you know, what they have done in two games against Barcelona in semi-final of the Champions League. So Liverpool have done during 38 fixtures every weekend. What they have done in Barcelona every weekend is like this, and and that's why maintain that that level uh, until the end. And when you have always you in the beginning of the season, we'll see the players after 100 points after World Cup. How the way they're coming back. It was completely the opposite. We pushed them, they pushed ourselves. I pushed the staff, the staff myself, all the organization pushed each other. It's the only way, you know, to be in Community Shield, in FA Cup, in Carabao Cup, in the Premier League, and arrive in the last stages for the Champions League being in that position. Have you won eight, eight league titles and retained now titles in three different countries? What, what does it take for you? As like an expert, I guess, to, to win that many titles, and also what kind of qualities do you think the squads need to be able to keep going? Which well, is obviously not easy. Definitely not. When when I, I said I said from the beginning I arrived here, friendly game will be important game. So some players told me I didn't expect when I arrived here you prepared the Carabao Cup the same way you prepared the Tottenham quarterfinals. That is the secret. So only secret they have to eight nine. 
Of course, if you count my first year in the second team from Barcelona, 9-11, 8-10, it's because every single game we prepare as much well as, as well as possible and, and the players know what. The players are so smart, so intelligent, so clever, so intuitive. And they know you are not well prepared. They know it. When they, we are not well prepared, they will not prepare well. And the only way is it doesn't matter which competition we play, you have to prepare. And that's why... Every 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 three days the players are ready to you know to to win here by winning what we have done in the big contenders you know except Chelsea away and, and draw we won all the games so after 100 points means a lot I think means a lot for for all of us. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the game against Brighton there. Um, Paul, it's it, it's pleasing, like we said, to see how the players have reacted this season because we've seen in every other one of City's title defences of the modern era, the players have... It, it, it feels like they've been at, at 5 or 6% less the next season in the defence and Guardiola's not let that happen this time. No, um, there's, and there's been no kind of politics in the sort of dressing rooms sort of upheaval, upheavals really there's, you know he's had to juggle the best players in the world game time obviously things are going to go wrong but yeah it's, just, it's good to see seems to be happy sort of um, dressing room yeah I think uh, standards could have very easily dropped but it's just, just the way the pep is he just demands so much of them and if, if you don't play then alright okay well Sané will play every game then Mendy you just you you're disposable if you're not going to kind of train as hard as you should do. Zinchenko can come here. Zinchenko step up. I think we'll talk about it later. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, yeah, just I think, I think the squad depth and that kind of phasing and having two players for every position has really counted. Richard, ninety-eight points after a hundred points. It's I, I, it's remarkable that Guardiola has managed to get them to that position again. I was expecting genuinely. I, I thought City'd win the league, but I was expecting it to be near a ninety. I'm not going to lie. I thought you were about to say, "Why is the standard fallen?" Oh no, no, no. <laughs> um, it well, yeah, it is. The to see how hard that is again, place things in context. We are the first team to defend a title in a decade and in England and most of the time you know, the, it's been significant drop-offs hasn't it for the reigning champions so we know City won the league in 2012 finished was it 11 points off United the next year won it in 2014 and then struggled massively the next couple of years and you know, massively in relative in terms context the, yeah, yeah. Um, Leicester won it nearly got relegated the next year although granted but you know, the winning the league there was the strange part, not the drop-off. Chelsea did similar thing, though. Ended up having to sack the league-winning manager from 16th position. Um, United, from champions to, I think, 7th... S- uh, 6th. 6th in the mice, <laughs> of course it was. Um, I don't know how that team is champions. I don't, I don't know how Richard doesn't know that United I was six. thinking 6th started under Mourinho, but I'm happy to uh, hear that it went back further. Uh, anyway, the they had just been... It's been increasingly hard for teams to defend titles. So for City not just to maintain a challenge, but to defend a title meeting... or Well, last year they got the highest ever points total. This year they set the second highest ever points total. It's a phenomenal level of consistency in a notoriously competitive league. And I've got a feeling, I've not checked this out, but I've got a feeling in that run... Pellegrini and Guardiola are the only two championship winning managers that haven't been sacked in their defence season. Because Ranieri was, Conte was, Mourinho was. I've got a feel. I, I need to. I'd need to double check. Conte it, but... was 
sacked after the season ended, though, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, they dragged it on because of the compensation issue. Oh, it still counts. Still counts. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> um, mentioned it before about the World Cup, but City had more players than any other team in the world at that World Cup. Yeah. So you'd think the fatigue, the injuries that I think De Bruyne came back with from that, still in bad press during the World Cup, even though he actually played well and wasn't really appreciated for that. Just the actual long two seasons with a World Cup in between it, to do that, it's an incredible achievement. And with Liverpool, best second place teams ever been in the Premier League, would have won it pretty much any other year. Probably one of the one of the best teams in the Premier League ever to be beaten by City at the peak this this season. Um, Stat that didn't make it into the, the podcast on Sunday. Richard, you brought it up on the uh, on the walk to go and find somewhere to record that podcast. Was uh, Liverpool are now the third team? Uh, it's the third time it's happened to them where they were top on Christmas Day, and uh, and didn't win the league. Yeah, there's only three teams that have done it, and each time it's Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk. Let's talk the goals then from uh, from Sunday. We didn't cover this in the uh, in the show last week. Um, uh, we'll start off with uh, with Sergio Aguero. It was it was great movement and uh, and awareness of him in the box to be able to, to to just find that space and 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 create the the opportunity for himself, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Silva's deft touch that barely moved the ball actually made a real difference because it made the defender kind of halt. But that's that goal in a nutshell as well as the QPR goal, sums up Sergio Aguero, doesn't it? You know, he can smash it in the net. Big but he moments. Is an old, big moments, old-fashioned poacher striker. He, he can be quite quiet and then he'll just make a run, slip off the defender and just be so sharp. I think he did, I think he did one as well in the game where he sort of slid to poke it and tried dinking it or putting it through the legs and it, it didn't go in. But it just that just shows what he's all about and you want him to be there at that moment and he he put it away. Richard City have been crap at corners in the last few weeks. Then, lo and behold, Laporte pops up and finds a bit of space. Uh, well, I said to you, didn't I? I think we got a corner at nil-nil or one-nil down. And I said to you, well, this is pointless. What's the point in City having a corner? Because they don't do anything with them. It was awful defending. It, it? But it was a great run by Laporte, though. It was. It was the yeah, way but... he peels through, and it's an excellently placed header. He's good at them. Is it five goals he's got for the season? Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was a great goal. I, I'm not sure there's loads to analyse about it, but it was a corner put into absolute perfect spot. I thought what was interesting was Laporte makes his run quite late, so there's no there's no massive build up to it. You know, there's no obvious where you can see. I don't know that they've planned it or whatever. It's like it's a very. I'm sure they have. Obviously. I was going to say it's, it seems a very unguardable sort of thing. It's a, a man who, who prepares everything meticulously to, have it, to, to get to the last game. The, no, but penalty area. Last day. <laughs> it's not that complicated. Last what, day of the season, and he's gone. You know what? We've used all of our corner routine, lads. Just sling it in. Well, but you, Paul has just said it's just a cross into the penalty area. It's not that complicated, as if they don't work on them. What I mean is, it's a very reactionary header. Do you know? It doesn't. It doesn't look like something where he's made the run hoping the ball gets there he has he's made the run having read the ball does that make sense and yeah, he's, see, just, he's seen the space in front of him I guess that's instinct though isn't it that's what he, I mean like, though that's why I think that's why it's such a great header because it's it's just very reactionary I don't know I, was, I'm not sure I'm putting my point across well but it's league winning goal one it was why, nice. why break the habit of a lifetime the, it, <laughs> the way he headed it down I think was what made it you know, making sure it just stayed down. It was just, it was just like, it was like a finisher's sort of header, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah. like a sort of powerhouse. He made sure it stayed down, and glanced in. 
Now, Paul Mares has had a tough season, all told. Uh, he went from that penalty miss at Anfield, which I actually, which I think has been weighing on him for, for for quite a long time, to ending up scoring the goal that made it comfortable for City and practically won them uh, won them the league. And it was it was a hell of a finish as well. It was, yeah. I think it. I mean, the dummy I think sold everyone in the stadium, didn't it? Going the other way, and he actually hit it really crisp, crisply with his right foot. Um, so yeah, he has a, t- a tough season. He's stuck in there. And for someone, I actually think for someone who has been, he's, the fans haven't taken to him, but he's had those key moments. He got the winner at Spurs. He got the winner at Bournemouth. He, he's played a massive part in this title. Yeah, I think there's a fine line with Mares where I think he was at times scapegoated, and you know if he was playing and things weren't going great, then he would. Um, always sort of bear the brunt of the fans' ire. And that's unfair. However, I do also think it's fair to say that his first season hasn't been brilliant. So his, his stats aren't terrible. Um, and yes, he has had some very big moments, none really bigger than Sunday. Um, but I do, I, I do think it is fair to look and say, here's a guy we've paid £60 million for and he's spent a lot of time on the bench and he's been there on merit. You know, he's been there because the players being picked ahead of him have outperformed him. Proved better, yeah. Um, I don't think he's a lost cause. I think there's enough quality in him um, to think that he can still adapt to this team. I think that's what it comes down to. I think if you put him in any other top four or top six team, I think he'd hit the ground running. I think the demands at City and as the only new player in a team very, very ingrained in in this style of play. I think that's probably a hard thing for any player to walk into who isn't naturally set up for, for that game. Um, I think he does add something different. I think maybe his biggest problem is that he reverts to type a lot. So the amount of time that he'll get down the line and you think there's a perfect opportunity to get the ball into the box and he will cut back onto the edge of the 18-yard box to try and swing one of those pinpoint crosses into the back post. It's a great thing to have, but you've got to have a bit more to stop it being predictable. Um, and then there's times when maybe a player doesn't quite make the run that he's expecting, so he doesn't play the pass that he wanted to. And the speed of the Premier League and the speed that City move at, once you delay that pass, the, the move's gone and you've got to restart again. The team, your opponent's regrouped. Or somebody's offside. or Yeah, so um, I, I think... It's a slightly frustrating season and he will probably see it the same way, in all honesty. It wouldn't surprise me if in 10 years' time when he's talking about you know his time at City and he's winding down when he's doing the Premier League years or whatever, he might well say that for his first year he carried the weight of that miss at Anfield as well. Because you can imagine, if you're spending a season chasing a team and every time your teammate misses or every time you're behind and you think yeah but if I just scored that last minute penalty it might all be so different Yeah, I don't know he's a stronger man than me if, if that didn't play on his mind throughout the season um, but I was delighted delighted that he got such a crucial goal and it's a great oh, obviously we've still got a game to play that he might play in but it is a fantastic springboard to go into the summer with and uh, hopefully start the season feeling a little bit lighter yeah. next year Yeah. Um, finally on the goals Gundogan with the icing on the cake Paul um it's a cracking free kick. Yeah, I mean, such a great technical player, isn't he? It's good. I felt confident with him taking it. I think he just, um, he was like, you know, when Yaya was in that bit of form when he was taking free kicks. and just Where every one seemed to go yeah, in. Yeah, every single one was perfectly top bins as uh, a... <laughs> Still, he said. Yeah, I just felt confident. And, um, 
shows a lot when they, you know how confident he is um, taking that when there's other technical players that could have took it. I think Silva was next in, wasn't he? I mean, on on a wider point as well, you must be quite pleased to see that that he's open to staying at City. We we thought the contract talks were over, and then here we are with the news that actually they might not be over. I think so. I, I think um, he's he's a, he's the exact sort of player that Pep wants. He's great in uh, Champions League football. He know he knows what it is. Fernandinho, it's it's going to be thirty four, I think. So he needed phase now at some point, and we've won the league towards the end of the season with Gundogan as our starting starting midfielder, who's our most defensive midfielder, and he's not defensive, and still absolutely boss the last fourteen games of the season. I, I think uh, if if City were to but let's ignore Gundogan now, if City would go out and buy a centre mid, you'd be looking for a Gundogan type player. And they've got so, one there. And on they've the got one who's who presumably is about money, which City can probably uh, match. And then the other aspect is game time, which presumably City can match because he's played a lot of games this run up to the season. He's played a massive role in us winning it. So, yeah, I, I really want him to stay. I think I think a lot of the criticism for him used to be that he passed a lot sideways. But I think people comparing to Fernandinho so much, I still think he's an all round great central midfielder. He's been playing more deeper, so there's more onus on the four, the, you know, the five attackers ahead of him to create chances. Yeah. Right, well, uh, this season has been extraordinary for City and for the fans, and it's certainly been a draining one for all involved as well. And I've been speaking to Guillaume Balaguer to look at where this year's Premier League title was won. In that piece I wrote for the BBC, I, I pointed out to uh, two key moments, uh, which was, of course, the defeat against Newcastle and what happened after. It could have been uh, Liverpool could have gone seven points ahead, and that would have been that. There was another moment that required everybody's strength, focusing and, and belief and faith in the whole project. And that was after being knocked out by Spurs. Uh, of course, there was the Spurs game in the league, what was it, two days and a half later. And let's say that Pep Guardiola, Manuel Stiarte, all the, all the Latins are very dramatic. They go in highs and lows and... And you know there was all this shouting around that you know the, the, the Champions League we're never going to win it or we won't win it or we're not going to win it again something like that. Everybody has worked with all the types of chairman where where a defeat meant a little death almost. So Caldun comes in and says, "Look, we'll never, we'll never, we will win the cha- the Champions League at some point, but it, we will never play like this, as good at, as this perhaps." Uh, he was trying to say, "We've done everything we could." And next is just there is a league to be won, and there is the FA Cup. Uh, and I think he used the expression, "and if you win that, you'll be the king of England." So all of a, all of a sudden, changed the perception of everybody, and it required to to be to be so because straight away the next day was a training session, and then everybody that has to change the mood—that is, the leaders—and the leaders are on the bench, especially Pep Guardiola—had to come with. with a different attitude and trying to you know switch everybody on to the next target so it was a key moment and uh, and I think you saw that in two days the the team had changed already you say you talked about Guardiola as, as an emotional person um, we see it on the touchline we said that the, the moment Raheem Sterling's goal was disallowed you saw you, you saw his reaction to it how interesting is, or how important is it for him to have those different characters around him uh, it's very very important that the balance is right uh, Dominic Torrent was calmness, and now he's gone to New York City. Um, Arteta plays that role as well. There's others. There's, there's Rodo, there's Lorenzo Bonaventura, who had uh, information, uh, an organization. I think Arteta, with Arteta, Pep has felt um, 
pushed in a different way than with Dome. Uh, with Arteta, you've got a former professional who sees things very quickly, analyzes things very quickly, and doesn't always get the same conclusion as Pep. And, uh, and Pep likes to intervene. This is, a, this is a team in which the players don't look at other players for leadership and responses and, and answers. They look at the bench. So he is ready always to give answers. But sometimes it's better not to. It's better not to act. It's better just to wait for things to to move on 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 its on its own. And I think Arteta brings that to uh, to his to his decision making. Now this this summer would have been the end of Pep's original contract at, at, at City. Um, the fans have seen wonderful football across his across his time, and you know they'll, they'll be desperate for news that he's never going to leave. Um, how long do you see him doing at City? You have to go year by year. I know he's got a contract until uh, 2022, isn't it? Uh, so that at least, and then and then we'll see. You cannot even approach him talking about the future further than that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with with some of the investigations that are going on. It's going to it's going to be interesting what how that uh, affects the club and everybody around the club if there is a decision, a negative decision. But I would say. He, he has been, last time he was this happy was at the beginning of his stay at Barcelona. And because he's adverse and allergic to conflict, uh, he's in a place where there's no conflict. He's surrounded by friends and, you know, imagine having to work with friends who understand what you're doing, who give you all the facilities for that to do, for, for you to enjoy it and for you to take the decisions without, in, without more pressure than the one that you put yourself. So um, from that point of view, he's, he is happy. And just final question: How how do you see next season going? Because City fans, I, 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 I'm fairly sure they think it can't get much better than this, and I'm sure Pep looks at it and thinks there's room for improvement. Oh yeah, no doubt. He thinks there are room for improvement. The style is already in place, but uh, you can see more and more teams handing you know 70% possession, uh, and that means uh, a lot of possession, which you can defend by having the ball, but but also you have to learn to attack. And then there are things that will happen that, that he won't plan and will just appear out of the blue, like, like Bernardo Silva this season was a little bit out of the blue, uh, like, like Sipchenko, the, the appearance of him and the importance of him. Uh, and by changing players, of, um, by bringing some, some will want to go, uh, some will be brought in, that also will bring a different, different layer of, uh, of, of, of responses to whatever happens on the pitch. So I'll be interested to see how Fernandinho settles centre-back, for instance, uh, which uh, is going to be tried next season. Uh, how Gundagan grows in, that, in the holding uh, midfielder role. And if they bring Rodri, how that suits the team. I think it would suit him marvellously. You know, I believe that they're willing to pay the 70 million euros of his buyer close. Let's see if he, the player himself, wants to, wants to go. And if that's the case, then you, know, you have to... St- work towards making the team more unpredictable because more and more teams are just defending the box and 
and you have to somehow uh, manage to uh, to break that. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Ian Balagate talking to me there. Uh, there's actually a longer version of that interview on our Patreon page, so uh, go and have a look. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. There's about 10 extra minutes to have a listen to, so uh, so go and check that out. Um, Paul, before we before the interview, we're talking about uh, Ilkay Gundogan and, and, and getting a bit more game time. It's interesting to hear that, that Guardiola's already planning to have Fernandinho as a centre-back and Gundogan a bit more involved in the midfield next season. I think so. I think that'd be one of the things where if he does want him centre back, it might be um, sort of not every single game. You know, moving about in the, in the John Stones sort of way that he's been, he's done. I don't know if that's um, that's a point. Is he just going to swap Stones and and, <laughs> and yeah. uh, Fernandinho around? You wonder whether that's because he's what might happen to company. We don't know. Otamendi will probably almost certainly go. Mangala might sign another contract extension. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, you wonder. W- what that says for John Stones because he's kind of he's he's been on the bench a lot, hasn't he? And why why is he playing Fernandinho in defence ahead of? But I think I I think this is it. I think they'll probably go after another centre back. I I suspect we've seen Vincent Company's last game at the Etihad, and we're just in that position now where if you're losing two centre backs, but you're bringing a, a defensive midfielder down to, mm. to back to be one, you only then need to go out and get one. You, you see what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, you're probably right to be fair because the way that Pep was referring to company in a couple of interviews we'll see obviously after Saturday was he compared him to Joe Hart and Zabaleta both of whom have left the club club legends that aren't but at the same time I think Gary Neville made the point saying company would probably take a pay cut this is me completely casting aspersions (laughs) probably take a pay cut he'd probably be happy playing less game time so why wouldn't you have him there because his actual presence and it's not like he's lingering on and we're sort of harking back and we need to move on from him. He is a great contributor, even if he plays eight games a season. Um, and he's kind of developed all, all the squad. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one, but um, going back to the point, Fernandinho, I think we should milk him till he's dry, till he's dry really. Because <laughs> he's just, how, how can he perform so well at age 34? It's, un, it's unbelievable. You know, best centre mid in the Premier League, pretty much. Um yeah, so if he plays back in defence, because like, it's how much in a game does City actually spend on the back foot? It's not that much. And Fernandi is actually quite good in the air. He's quite good in the air, quite good on the ball. Yeah. He kind of fits the bill, doesn't he? Having a centre-back with his ball-playing ability, though, with how City get the game started from the back... Um, I would suggest that Fernandinho wouldn't just be there for his defensive abilities. It would be very much like Stones and yeah. Laporte, how they get the ball straight back out and shift the ball away from their own goal and get City on their attack. I can see it. Um, I could definitely see it happening. It's also comforting, I suppose, to hear someone say that, that Guardiola's never been happier about a, a club since leaving Barcelona. I, I think there's a lot politically about that. Um, and I would imagine that he is happier with the role that he has at City than he was even at Barcelona because at Barcelona there was a lot um, and you know I'm not some insider on Barcelona but just reading around Pep in, in various sources there was a lot at Barcelona where he felt he wasn't necessarily backed by the board, accusations and aspersions that were made very publicly um, against him uh, and the team um, where the board just didn't back him up at all and at Bayern where even then he was expected to sort of conform 
within the Bayern model and there was still a huge political element to the job because of the club that Bayern Munich are. And that's not to say there isn't any of that at City, but I think what he has... Um, but this, this club's been built pretty much exactly, to have him in place. Exactly. Everything was set up for him in, in you know new age Manchester City. It was all geared towards Guardiola. Um, and so he has a complete freedom to... I'm not going to say do what he wants, but the side of the game that isn't his to worry about isn't his to worry about. The club take it from him. They leave him so that he can just focus on building Manchester City into a footballing force. Of course he has commercial obligations and all that. Of course he does. But they're not his concern in the same way that I think maybe they would have been at Bayern and Barcelona, where that's always has to be a conscious thought to you. Um, I hope... Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah, I think, yeah, no, I see it. I, and so I think he, he will be happy because Guardiola is essentially a footballing man. He cares about what happens on the pitch and how that then builds the image of the club. Um, and I think having that freedom and, and knowing that the club was also up for him and that he's building an identity at City afresh. And I hate that word, identity, to describe football teams. I thought you meant afresh for a second. Uh, I was just, I was oh, no, that. <laughs> cracking word. I don't, like, I, I don't like banging on about football clubs having an identity because ultimately ultimately it's about winning for City yeah. obviously Guardiola was bought in to establish a way of playing akin to what Barcelona have but for the vast vast majority of football teams forget identity and playing the United way or the Tottenham way or the West Ham way if that doesn't work you go out to try and win but we were very lucky we could get a man who brings those two things together and it He's adored for it. We've not had this before. Barcelona had, maybe not to the extent that Pep gave it him, Bayern Munich, serial winners. This is new. Even yeah. for Pep, even for City, this level of success is new. One thing that, that Guillaume said that might concern City fans, though, was that, that I mean, Guardiola's position might change if there was to be a punishment for the alleged breaches of financial fair play, which City deny, um, then it might have an impact on, on Guardiola's future at the club if they're not in the Champions League, say, which is one of the, the possible uh, punishments that has been mooted this week. Um, City's statement in response was, uh, well, it's very strongly worded. I think they could have worded it much stronger. Um, they they said they were entirely confident of a positive outcome. They said the accusation of financial irregularity remains entirely false. A referral ignores a, a comprehensive body of evidence. And they also cite a lack of due process. As a fan, how do you feel about this sort of situation? Um, it's disappointing to have seen the leak to the New York Times before anything's happened. The suggestion that they're going to push for a Champions League ban before there's any verdict or before the referral had even taken place is slightly concerning about what's going on on the inside of that investigation. Um, I think City's statement gives me a little bit of confidence as to what the overall outcome of this might be. I suspect there's a lot of legal work still to go on. But for City to be calling out UEFA for not following due process, um, what were the quotes for saying? Um, the they've referral ignores a comprehensive body of evidence. It's That isn't just, we'll continue to fight to clear our name. It isn't just the confident of a positive outcome. It's almost like a counter-allegation. Yeah, um... And City have always, when they've spoke about it, they've always spoke confidently about their financial dealings. I just think that if, if City have done wrong, if they've covered up dodgy finances, then, as you know, as is the allegation, then 
I won't have a problem with them being punished for that. We can then have the debate about the fairness of FFP, but if you sign up to play by the rules and you don't, then you accept the punishment if you don't, by my book. Um, but I do think... It's this, the strength of City's statement is really, really interesting to me because it is it is more than coming out fighting. It is, it is pushing the ball very much back into UEFA's court and I, I don't think you make a statement like that if you are not confident of being exonerated. And they said the one short statement that they did make initially when those uh, leaks to the German newspaper came out, City said... Um, that the emails had been taken entirely out of context. And th- that, I suppose, is what they're getting at again with the ignoring the comprehensive body of evidence. Um, and one day when this all does come out in the wash and we know exactly what's been considered, what's been looked at, what's been said, um, I'll be interested to hear the arguments City have made, especially if they've been successful. The prospects of a Champions League ban, does that concern you as a fan? Or, does it, or, or is it actually not that worrying? If I'm perfectly honest... Um, it doesn't concern me in the sense of how devastated I would be to miss out on a year of Champions League football. Like I'd, I'd rather we didn't, but you know I'll find other things to do with my Tuesdays and Wednesdays for the, <laughs> when City would have been in the Champions League. I would prefer to be in them. I'd like us to win the Champions League at some point. You have a better chance of doing that if you're not banned from it, don't you? <laughs> so, um, and when you get to the latter stages, as we sometimes do, um, the the nice games to be involved in. It is the knock-on impact, isn't it? It's the thought that maybe not being able to attract the same quality of player for a year. I mean, as I alluded to before, is it the thought that City fans that, might be able to do without the Champions League, but maybe Pep Guardiola can't? That, yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. The, the thought of losing Pep through it, is horrifying and you know it'd be none of us know what Guardiola's thinking I think if any City fan and there will be them there will be City fans who will bury their heads in the sand on this and convince themselves that well no Guardiola's just happy in Manchester he says it all the time he's got a great contract oh we'll just win the domestic treble that year instead without the Champions League to worry about you see you see these things being said um that may well be the case it would be burying your head in the sand to outright ignore the possibility that at this stage in his career, Guardiola might think, I don't want to be a year out of the Champions League. But, of course, that's going to depend on his other options. I do believe, we've just spoke about it, I believe he's fully happy at City. I think that happiness that he has with his family in Manchester, they're clearly all settled here. He's spoken about how much it means to him that his wife and his children's happiness in, in where they're going and that that dictates his moves. If they're all happy in Manchester and he thinks, I can forgo one year of this and be part of maybe the club building a siege mentality against UEFA and coming back and proving themselves in the back in the Champions League, then, yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced he would go, but I do think it would be burying your head in the sand to think that it's to outright it's not a possibility. it out. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, in answer, yes, I am a little bit concerned about the, the knock-on impact of it. I suppose we uh, we just have to wait and see what, what kind of happens with this one. It's it's not going to go away, and uh, and City are certainly going to fight the cause on this one. Um, Richard, you mentioned the possibility of a domestic treble. It's been hanging over us like a cloud all show. Uh, FA Cup final time at uh, at Wembley on Saturday. Uh, Paul, two tough league games against Watford um, this season. It's This is no foregone conclusion on Saturday, is it? No, it's not. Um, as we saw in the uh, semi-final where Watford uh, came back, no, and I, th- I think um, Troy Deeney up front as well, the sort of physical threat crosses in. I think um, play on they want the City play on the terms. I think it 
relies on City, how, you know, getting at least two, three goals really as, as, a, as a cushion. Because I think otherwise it's just going to be a bit very tight and nervy. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, I think there's a limit to how many Watford can score. It's just so, therefore, we need to really get some goals on the uh, score sheet. Other teams might worry about that sort of after the Lord Mayor's show situation where, you know, they've just had a, a fantastic season. They've won the, the Premier League with, uh, you know, the second highest points total ever, but uh, not quite, not a Guardiola team, Richard. It's not a characteristic of a Guardiola side. Though. Well, no, they've already proven that by after the highs of uh, winning the mighty Carabao, still managing to plug on <laughs> and, and win the relatively minor Premier League. Uh, I think we've proven that there's no after the Lord Mayor's show with this team. Um, yeah, I'm not not in any way concerned about the mentality. I think we saw from the uh, the Amazon documentary that when City had the league wrapped up last season, Guardiola bullet-pointed all the records that they could go for in a team meeting um, and encouraged them to go for them. Well, it's that, but a, a bit extra because there's an actual trophy in on um, on the line. And, you know, Wembley, showpiece occasion, I'd say it's hard not to be up for that, although we all remember 2013 against Wigan. Um, <laughs> when even I wasn't up for it as a fan in the stands, to be fair, it was a dreadful day. Um, anyway, the chance to be the first ever team to win the English domestic treble, or if we really push it, the domestic quadruple with the Community Shield. Um, that's How can you not be up for that? How could you possibly not be? So, no, they will be. I think they'll... I think motivation is not going to be an issue at all. And, Paul, this team's equipped to handle pressure. It's handled pressure for the last, well, six months. I think so. I, I think um, a lot of pressure would have been relieved after that Premier League game. I think... Uh, the twist during the game probably as well added an extra sort of um, pop to it. So, yeah, um, I think they probably had two, three days sort of relaxing and going, you know, one last game and then we've got the summer off and we make history. I think if... if I think, think if, I, actually, we recalled this on a Thursday night. I think Edison's probably just sobering up now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think if, if City, if Watford, you know, play amazing beat us, and as long as you see City really fighting, I don't think it will be... Disappointing. It'll be disappointing, obviously, not to get the treble because we should do and we're favourites going into the game. But it's just whether City do let it down. You know, like the Wigan final, as uh, Richard says. There was, if, there was if, a if lot of performance that, like yeah. there was because obviously I think a lot in the club, um, a lot of people falling out of each other. But um, as long as it's not a performance like that, it, it just. Time passes, do you know what I mean? Obviously, the Premier League, we're not still celebrating it right now, here and now, are we? We kind of celebrate on the day. And Speak it's for yourself. <laughs> it kind of, that would overshadow it almost if we had an absolute dreadful performance and let it slip when we've got this chance to make history. That's going to be the team talk. It's like you can make history today. Go out there, play football. This is your last game. Go and enjoy it. You're at Wembley. You've got, you know, 80,000 people. Every single person, football fan in the country is going to be watching the game. You can make a domestic treble, make history. So... There you go. It's um, it's an interesting one that De Bruyne's back as well, Richard, because he came on towards the end of uh, the Brighton game. He's obviously had large spells of this season out. I, this season's pretty much been a write-off for him just for the injuries he's had. Um, would you throw him in there? be tempted if he's fully fit. I mean, his, the back end of the season before his last injury, he was really getting back into form, wasn't he? He was dictating games again, he had that absolute buzz about him and teams were really, really struggling to live with him and it was like the De Bruyne of last season. Um, 
I it's a tough one to call because we've we've just won the league with a four one win away from home without De Bruyne starting and we were pretty good for a large part of that. But then in some of the recent games without him, it has been a little bit harder to break teams down. You think the Leicester home game, I'm not sure would have taken so long to break them down if De Bruyne starts that um, in the form that he was in. So, yeah, I think if he's fully fit and there's no... I know you can never rule out an injury, but within right relapse scenarios, that there's, there's no real risk of him going off in the first half with a relapse, then yeah, I think I would start him. And it would be, can you imagine how much he'd be buzzing for it to finish, as if his motivation isn't always high enough anyway. Yeah. But after the frustration of this season, to to get out there back on the Wembley pitch well, and play a real yeah. role in winning a, um, in winning a trophy to cap it all, you wouldn't have to worry about him being up for it, would you? Yeah. Well, uh, this is the final chance to add some money to the total in this season's charity bet. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single and the winnings are going to the Christie, which is a cancer hospital in Manchester. Total so far for the season is £1,018. Can we add to it to make it uh, a little bit higher before we finish for the year? Uh, Richard, what are you having for uh, fee prediction? Uh, I am delighted to confirm, David, that Manchester City win 2-0. Uh, if that comes true, it's 9 to 2 and £45, if you're right. Uh, Paul, what are you having? 3-0, I think. 3-0 is 6-1, to one, so 60 quid if uh, if you're right. I said 2-1, which is 8-1, to one, and uh, 80 quid if I'm right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now, for the final time this season, here's Howard Hawking. He's looking at what's made the papers in the days since City's title win. How's your week been? Celebrating the greatest title win ever whilst looking forward to another cup final and the chance of an unprecedented domestic treble? Or maybe instead you've been on social media and it feels like we were relegated on Sunday. More on that later, no doubt. Anyway, the great narrative died, the dream of large swathes of the media, the trophy parade bus rusting since 2014, if not before, reverses back into its garage in Liverpool for a few weeks at least. And have no doubt, this is the greatest Premier League side of it all. Not Liverpool's, City's. Try and debate otherwise as much as you want, not that we would, and you'd be wasting your time. More accurately, you'd still be desperately trying to convince yourself that it's all about money, Pep's a fraud, who should try managing Oldham Athletic to really test himself, and that Liverpool were the real winners on their shoestring budget, getting by on hopes and prayers and the odd loan signing. It probably didn't surprise you, therefore, that Liverpool still got more coverage, even though they fell short. Even though a Premier League team retained the title for the first time in the decade. Even though City have averaged 99 points over the past two seasons, thus dropping a total of 30 points in those two years. But then, why be surprised or even bothered? The media has changed over the past decade beyond recognition. Print is dying and we consume much of what we read online through a vast array of sources. Football used to be about going to the match, getting the football pick, reading a report, then reading the odd transfer rumour or opinion piece before the next game. Now every second demands a new story, a new angle, a new hot take. Quite frankly, and this is not a dig, but a sign of the times, we don't need football journalists anymore. They're not our portal to news and reports and their opinions matter not one jot, a lot of the time, when we ourselves have access to all the information, all the action and can develop our own opinions. 
Of course, I'm using a bit of hyperbole there, as breaking transfer news will always be consumed, and a well-written opinion piece will always be appreciated on any topic, and there are some great scribes out there. We should always be open to alternative opinions and take on board new information. But without sounding snobby, much of what is out there is not even good for holding fish and chips. Not that you can do that anymore. It's health and safety gone mad. But really their standing is not what it was, and they know it. They have to find new ways to stay relevant, justify their pay packet, like we all do. Juvenile retweets, Twitter spats, hot takes were all part of the machine. But imagine needing the validation of a football journalist to back up your point of view on a city topic. You don't anymore. But news outlets need to survive. And in 2019 that means clicks as well as print sales. So of course they will produce more stuff on Liverpool. Of course certain articles such as that in the New York Times this week will be timed for maximum effect. It was always thus. That's how the industry works. And it is logical. I just think that the last few weeks may be a watershed though for many of us on social media. To walk away and spend more time elsewhere. It's destroying us and it is serving no purpose. We won the league on Sunday with 98 points having won 14 games under bounds to do so. There's the facts laid out in front of you and I don't need a glossy pullout in the Guardian to validate that achievement nor clarify what happened. We were there, we experienced it all, we drank it in. So walk away, go to the park, see the world, walk up a hill if you can, go to the pub and forget the detritus of Twitter discussing plane songs, net spends, human rights or anything else that takes or doesn't take your fancy. And laugh. Laugh at John Aldridge losing his mind because his precious little Liverpool couldn't compete with Oil Money City. Chuckle at the faux outrage at a song on a plane and calls for apologies and reprimands. Chuckle at Tony Evans suggesting asterisks next to our achievements because he thinks possibly we may have broken some rules he doesn't really understand and where one small section of our sponsorship money came from five years ago. Wonder too why there was no similar outrage at Lingard chanting about City beeping off home after they won the Europa League. This, two days after a terrorist attack in Manchester, was hugely insensitive, at a time that the city had never been more united, in peacetime at least. But there was rightly no outrage, because all footballers sing songs like this, let off steam and celebrate trophies in the heat of the moment in this way. So it wasn't really worth dwelling over. And that's the key to being annoyed over a song on a plane that some unknown players may have sung parts of without really knowing what they were doing. Unless, of course, we assume someone like Sergio Aguero has forensically deconstructed the chant before singing it with glee. Footballers more than anyone have been in the heat of battle with Liverpool over the past 12 months. They live in a bubble and cannot say anything most of the time. They've won the title and are letting off steam, as they do in dressing rooms after every match. Get over it. It happens in every dressing room in the land. It's just this one became public. And it was on a plane. Or if you can't get over it, bores all to death by analysing every football song in the world because footballers will always sing fan songs and it's usually endearing to hear them do it. Usually. In that situation, a single person sings a song, probably a member of staff that starts it off, and some players join in with a catchy a lay, a lay, a lay bit. Hanging's too good for them, eh? Now that's not to say any song is fair game. The song, which I hate personally, has a couple of words that have obviously drawn focus. Maybe the players will have to be reminded of their responsibilities or something. But let's not go over the top here. The singing of a song containing the words battered and victims will obviously lead to questions being asked. We shouldn't expect otherwise. I'm just not sure it requires 15 articles and counting on the disgrace of it all. What also leaves a nasty taste in my mouth is how the incident has been used to further the cause of others. Sean Cox has been through hell and so has his family. 
to use them for gaining a campaign to denigrate Manchester City Football Club is beyond the pale. Yet not a word of criticism will exist online for such actions. Nothing. We all know the song is about Kiev. You're entitled to have the opinion that the players singing the song is wrong. But stay on topic, please. Of course, the fan base will always dig in and protect their own. We don't need to, though. I'm not responsible for the actions of footballers or staff, nor are you. We're not their guardians. Nor was I responsible for City's accounting in 2014 and 2015. If mistakes are made, then those responsible should be held responsible. Them alone. We do not have to defend everything our club does. We certainly don't do that on our own message boards. So why disagree if a football journalist says the same thing you did in the pub the previous day? Get out the trenches. Nevertheless, and I say this even as a left-leaning, thin-skinned liberal, the pathetic overreaction of forensic deconstruction of everything that happens in the football world is so tiresome, and it's clearly not a level playing field either. Even more so when led by a single fan base who can't take defeat with an iota of grace because of some cult-like delusion that they are and always have been the best, even if actual football results do not back up such an assertion. So with that in mind, this is my own pathetic little call to arms. Enjoy your trip to London on Saturday for those that are going. Enjoy the whole day. Hope for an unprecedented domestic treble, all you Blues, and enjoy that possible achievement with fellow Blues, because the rest of the world doesn't matter. What they'd give to be in our shoes, to have walked just a mile in them. These are the best times of our football sporting lives, so never forget that, and have a great summer. Hi, good afternoon, this is Dennis Stewart calling and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Howard Hawking there. Now, uh, Howard discussed it at the end, but the uh, Ale 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 chant and the aftermath of uh, of what happened. Um, Paul, what have you made of what's happened this week? I think, obviously, people that know only knew the lyrics, yeah, obviously, it's... Uh... Not good. It's not a good look, is it? Not at all, but I imagine 95% of the people in that video, potentially in the ground, people like me who only know the chorus <laughs> <laughs> and do it to take the make out local fans, you know, rather than actually sponsoring what every single lyric says. And I think it's just been taken a massively out of proportion. But that doesn't that doesn't defend it. But just saying, I think the article I read said about most players joining on the chorus and there's a reason why. It's because that's the only part of the song that anyone knows. Richard... Is, is the chant okay? Uh, no, I, I don't really think it's okay. Um, because there's a, there's a few lines in it. So there's the line about, from a fan's point of view, before we get to any players or staff singing it, the line about fans being battered in the streets. First of all, I think we've, we've got to say here that anybody who listens to that to that chant can work out that that is not a reference to what happened to Sean Cox. Um, and that is not, just to be clear, it is not a defence of the chant. But you can, but you can see why that conclusion is reached. To a point, yes, but what there's been a lot of is City fans explaining that it's not about that and people refusing to listen and deciding that it is anyway, okay. which I think is wrong. I think if you're going to be dragged over the coals for something, then you get dragged over the coals for the offence that you're actually guilty of. And I have no problem with City being criticised for this or for their attempt at an apology or for people pointing out that the players or the people involved in that video got this one wrong. I think that should be called out, but it's got to be for the right offence. I think 
it's crass to reference people getting, being battered in the streets. I don't like fighting. I don't like people fighting over football. Maybe that is me just being a bit serious in what might be a harmless chant, uh, but I, I, I don't sing it. Um, the really troubling bit for me is the reference to victims. In, if you just hear the chant on its own, it sounds like, oh, they're, they're claiming to be the victims because of Salah's injury, and you know you could throw that into the context of, well, Ramos didn't even foul him and all that stuff. We know what victims means it has when a it's applied to, Yeah, you cannot escape it. I don't believe that anybody in that video singing it would be crass enough to be making that reference, but you absolutely cannot escape linking when you call Liverpool fans victims you link it back to Hillsborough it's inescapable um, and so it's not okay to sing and it's another reason why I will not sing that chant um, in, the, in the stadium I think it's I think it's abhorrent um, to use that word um, then when you get onto the players singing it this is why the this to me is why the Sean Cox distinction is important if you had a group of millionaires or you know if it's the staff well well paid men specifically knowingly singing about one man who in an atrocious attack was put into a coma that changes the context from just aping a fan chant that that makes a light reference to football hooliganism you know and Again, stress enough, this isn't a defence of the chant, but the context that you judge it in has got to be correct. Um, the And then, you know, it's a bit crass for players to be also singing about one of their own players injuring somebody else. But then, you know, that's a bit of... You can see that being a bit of a laugh behind closed doors. The really big question from an inside-the-club point of view, who on earth on the plane has filmed that and thought it was a good idea to release it? Who's not thought that one through? You know, it, it is unprofessional, but if it was just behind closed doors and nobody else ever sees it, people have jokes like that that they make that you wouldn't want other people to hear because you know the context yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, so all in all, I do think for having given a really serious answer there, I think City should have done better with the apology. I think if they do, it goes away. I do think that although they've been criticised for making the distinction and been accused of missing the point, I think it's an important distinction to make what that one line is referencing. Um, but I also think it's a, it's a storm in a teacup that it, it, it should have been forgotten about. That's the panel time. Um, this is the bit of the show where you send in your questions for these guys in the studio. Tex has been in touch on Twitter to ask, does Fabian Delph have a future at City, Paul? Good question. Um I think it's one of them if it was season before absolutely yes you know homegrown talent fell in a left back lot played well play centre mid versatile good leader I think in the dressing room from what I could see from, from the videos and from the World Cup um, but a few times he's played this season he's not been quite up to, up to standard I think the, the Spurs goal for example sticks out where he, he let the person have so much time. Got a funny feeling that was his last game as well. Yeah, but at the same time, Zinchenko has improved loads, but you know he's going to have four or five high-profile mistakes a season, Zinchenko, just from inexperience playing there. The fact that he's not left-back as Delph's, well. Delph's had one, and he's not left-back either, if you take that same sort of mentality. So is it a bit harsh to judge him by that? I don't think he's been injured as much this season, so I sense the fact that he has been phased out and he won't, he won't be here next season. Is is my my impression, but it's a shame because I don't think he's been given the chance to play as often to get back to the same sort of utility play he was last season. Richard, quick uh, quick answer: yes or no? Is he going to be around? 
No, I think what we've seen is that last season when he was brilliant at left back, um, he was playing above himself because this year he's back to looking like a player in the wrong position and there's no way he gets into City's team in midfield. The only thing that might save him is a homegrown quota. Right, uh, well, uh, that's it for our last studio show of the campaign, but that doesn't mean there won't be any more Blue Moon podcasts to come. Next week, after the FA Cup final, we'll be recording the last of Season 10's shows in front of an audience at Idle Hands Coffee in Manchester. There are still a few tickets left. If you'd like to get yourself down there, head over to our Twitter and Facebook pages to get yourself a seat. If you want to listen to a bit more right now, then you can become a Patreon backer, and for $2 per month or more, you'll get access to our entire back catalogue of bonus show content as well. This week's brand new episode is up where we're discussing about alternative moments of the season and uh, Richard you do uh, you do a nice little bit of rapping in that as well um, yeah that weirdly isn't a lie <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast to find out some more we should also say that after this month there'll be two months where Patreon backers will have no money taken since we don't make any podcasts in June and July there won't be any uh, money going out from those who have signed up so get all your friends to check it out and uh, have a listen to some of the bonus content as well special thanks to my two guests Richard Burns Thank you. And Paul Atherton. Cheers, man. I'm David Mooney, and we hope to see you at Blue Moon Podcast Live next week. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.